welcome to Cybercast 2.0. I'm your host, James Mersall. Today we're talking with Mr. Paul Cunningham, the Chief Information Security Officer for the Department of Veterans Affairs. As the CISO, Paul leads the Office of Information Security, overseeing cybersecurity efforts across the VA, including the Veterans Health Administration, Veterans Benefits Administration, and National Cemetery Administration. Paul talks about what it takes to secure the medical and financial information for millions of veterans, as well as protecting all the other digital services the VA offers. We discuss customer privacy, security's role in the Agile and DevSecOps methodology, and how the VA is developing its workforce. We also talk about Paul's past experience, first as a helicopter pilot for the U.S. Navy, and then later on as the CISO for the Department of Energy. Paul explains how those roles inform his work at the VA, and how he has brought the training and security concepts from those positions to his team. Finally, we look to the future, where Paul tells about how the threat landscape has evolved over his time, but more importantly, how the solutions to those threats have evolved to take a proactive risk management approach. Paul also shares information about current and ongoing VA initiatives that will improve the lives of both active duty service members and our nation's veterans. Thank you for joining us, Paul. Let's get started. Thank you for uh, having us. It's always great to come out and uh, have a chance to talk about uh, about the exciting things we're doing in VA. First question I want to ask is, uh, how is the VA approaching security and its modernization efforts? VA definitely values technology, not in not only in the services we're providing uh, to the veterans, but also how we're providing that in a robust and a secure way. To that end, VA has a digital transformation strategy that focuses on transparency, accountability, uh, and innovation, and teamwork. What the Office of Technology has done has gone a little bit further, and they're moving it into how we're doing that, uh, how we're providing our services to the veteran from exceptional service, IT modernization, seamless and secure interoperability, and uh, workforce transformation. And what we're talking about there is, if we kind of look at each one of those real quick, uh, what we're doing for the veteran around exceptional customer service, we're looking at uh, human-centered design. And what we're doing there is we're not developing for the veteran uh, in mind. We're developing with the veteran. We're asking them what they need, and we're talking to the users out in the field how they're going to provide that. In doing so, we now have a more agile approach, and we're looking at agile development terms like DevOps. And just recently, we moved to DevSecOps, where we're now looking at what can we provide some capability early in stage, maybe not with a complete solution, but at least we're developing something that the consumer can use right away. And then we can build on it and build more capabilities on that, getting greater acceptance as we go along. Uh, we're also leveraging advancements in industry and uh, private sector. We're, we're looking at buying before building and where we can look at agile development successes. We're bringing that talent in and that sort of kind of mindset. So we're not developing it on our own. We're already coming in with the uh, strategies already and the structure already aligned. And then we're finding commonalities with our other federal partners. And we're seeing this strongly in how we're uh, dealing with uh, the development and implementation of the electronic health care record. In doing so, uh, we're partnering with the Department of Defense. And we're looking at where we can raise our standards to match up with DODs. So there's that interoperability. And not only that, we're also employing same uh, type solutions so we can uh, share how we're scanning and uh, accrediting our systems where both of us are able as partners look at this uh, um, the situation and make sure we're doing it in a secure and uh, viable fashion. It's good to hear. I was at a defense health conference a couple months ago and they were talking about uh, both their, their new military health system and then also some of the other records they're working with the VA. So 
good to hear that you're uh, working hand in hand in that regard. Oh, absolutely. We look at it as a total partnership. Uh, just yesterday, I was uh, in two meetings with uh, Department of Defense, and tomorrow, or I mean, sorry, next week, I'll be uh, visiting again uh, just to make sure that uh, we're have equal voices at the table and that we're looking at each other's uh, interests uh, in a fair and equitable way. So how would you say VA is leading the way in thinking about a risk-based approach to their security posture? Uh, certainly. I, I think there's, um, you know, as we move in the federal government as a whole, uh, we started out in a very compliance-based approach, and that's got us very far. Uh, but as we look at the future in, in cybersecurity and how we deliver IT, or even support the mission, we, we have to look at more risk-based approach because it's not, it's not a one-size-fits-all. Um, you know, I've seen that throughout my uh, career, and we're seeing where, um, where we can meet the co uh, controls. We should, and we will. And where we can't or we're having difficulty, we need to look at the spirit of intent um, and see where we can meet that spirit of intent through uh, compensating controls. Um, and then where we can't make it, uh, we have to make a decision whether we're going to... Uh, uh, continue or if we're going to go ahead and uh, take that risk. And so along that way, through uh, risk base, you have to look at accountability and managing showing due diligence. We have to go back and learn how to document and do proper risk assessments and risk analysis, not only from a system perspective, but also looking at from the mission and the organizational perspective. And this is an original thought. I mean, it's uh, NIST has it written in uh, NIST Special Pub 837 and 39. And it talks about not only the system um, uh, risk uh, approach, uh, definitely around a risk management uh, framework, but then it also talks about mission and it also talks about the organizational part. So if you look at the other associated publications, they usually have a section in there that talks about how to evaluate mission or organizational risk as well. Sounds like something I've heard of uh, going beyond DevSecOps to DevDataSecOps and thinking about what is the most mission-critical data for your organization and uh, how to focus on protecting that first and thinking about that in terms of prioritization. Well, we just got to, uh, I mean, just this week we're looking at uh, changing from DevOps to DevSecOps. I'm not sure if I'm racing for another addition, uh, uh, but I think your point is correct. And just like when we were doing DevOps, we, you know, security was at the table. It just wasn't in the title. So I had an equal say. I was uh, engaged with API development. My, my group and the architecture group was, was there talking about how we can uh, make a more graceful transition to the cloud. And so um, and that's the same thing with uh, data pooling and uh, certainly the work that's been done with OMB around HVAs, uh, high-valued assets. Uh, oddly enough, I worked with the uh, high-valued asset sprint uh, back, uh, when was that, 15, uh, with uh, OMB. And, and that was really a unique point because until then, we were really focused on the value of a system from a system owner and maybe the, the mission as well. And we weren't looking at it from an adversarial perspective. Uh, if we were, it was kind of almost a tertiary thought. And through the high-valued asset program through OMB, I see a lot more um, opportunity for us to actually look to see uh, is the adversary consider that very high value to them. That helps us understand what sort of protections we need to put in and uh, the additional control sets that we need to put in as well. What would you say is unique about the VA compared to other federal agencies, especially in terms of your cybersecurity opportunities and challenges? You know, our customers and the services that we provide make us unique. And I think that's probably a bad answer you hear across the federal space. Uh, but our 
constituents are very educated. They're they're familiar with the Fed uh, environment or federal environment. They've uh, if they're a veteran, they've been in the Department of Defense, and they have some exposure. And what they expect and really what they deserve uh, on a grateful nation is, is a high standard. And it goes just beyond uh, having the largest health care uh, network uh, in the country. Uh, we also have $120 billion of financial benefits that we give a year. So we're a financial institution. And we have thousands, tens of thousands of acres of of a memorial space that we must maintain and, and for the uh, veterans as well. So when you look at it, it's three major, uh, in some cases, disparate missions. And we got to make it work for one, you know, for every individual that's coming through, every veteran, as they go from active duty all the way through memorial. So in that regards, we have to look at it from where can we get efficiencies from the private sector thinking on top of just the three disparate services, just how broad the reach of VA is, you know, hospitals across the country, financial services across the country. How do you coordinate such a nationwide security effort compared to some federal agencies that are focused on only a few data centers or or facilities across the U.S.? So um, we're looking at, and just in the uh, Veterans uh, Health Administration alone, there are over 190 hospitals and 1,200 clinics. And those clinics uh, or, you, you know, maybe co-located with uh, non-federal organizations, maybe like a university or another hospital. And we have to take that into account in how we uh, deliver our services, uh, uh, especially the healthcare services for our veterans. Uh, so it's not always as easy as having a very stagnant um, uh, topology. So we, we recognize that and where we, where we can, we, we subnet. Uh, we definitely uh, put in areas that uh, can take Different, different set of risk based off the environment they're in, and also put in different control sets, too, to help uh, mitigate those risks. And then, of course, for the business side or the regular IT side, you know, we have a more centralized approach, and we're working at um, developing uh, ways to um, make sure that each endpoint, we have a visibility, the traffic that's going along that uh, we use tick. We're also using CDM. We're, we're a big proponent of CDM. We're in Defend right now, and, and we're looking at how we can leverage the successes of other federal agencies through DHS CDM projects to provide better services for our, our veterans. I can definitely see how uh, both TIC and CDM would help out a lot if you've got not just a wide network, but several broad networks. Knowing what's on the network is a very important first step. The the key part, too, is working with our our partners and our mission partners. Uh, uh, We work with, you know, OIT has uh, liaisons with with them. Uh, We're embedding ourselves as part part of the partners uh, in each of the uh, key pillars of VA. Uh, to make sure that uh, the IT services are there. One thing is you know, we want to give the best care and the best services to the veteran. I've kind of talked about that uh, at length. But as IT and even the cybersecurity, we don't always get to see the faces um, of the veteran. In doing so, we have to make sure our business partners who are interfacing with the veteran have the tools that they need to provide that care in an efficient way. Thinking about data, um, as you mentioned, you know, there's the Veterans Benefits Administration, the Veterans Health Administration. You're both a financial services agency in a sense, as well as a healthcare agency. How important is it for privacy to be integrated with cybersecurity, and 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 how do you accomplish that? I think in, in the past, everybody kind of realized that privacy and cybersecurity were were related, um, but not necessarily uh, co-located. Uh, in VA, they are. They're actually under my office. And to that degree, I'm not only the chief information security officer, 
but I'm also the chief privacy officer. And this is the first time of being a, a chief privacy officer. I've learned a lot. I can't I can't talk more. I have higher regard about the the work that uh, the privacy team is doing out in the field uh, to make sure that the information and there's a lot of key information is being provided to the veteran, uh, health records and that uh, social security numbers, billing information that that must be protected. And I have a crack team of uh, folks to make sure that we're we're doing it in a sound way. And when things occur. Uh, we have an incident response capability that is timely and transparent because uh, that's what we owe the uh, we owe the people. But with that, I would say that having both at the table and OIS allows them to hear some of the things. Both all my directors actually can hear now what privacy is talking about and what they need in the control set. So it's not just the system protection or just the gen- generic information or the the protected information of a VA. But it actually kind of goes back to uh, the PII is now inside the, the thought processes when we're starting to do the architectural work. And it's not a passing thinking. It was more of a, a committed, invested um, approach to bringing privacy and cybersecurity together. That's great to hear. I remember at our uh, Tech Futures event, you, you pointed out that you know, cybersecurity and I guess privacy to a degree as well have this bad image of, of being more of a traffic cop at the end of the process rather than a, a risk broker along the way. Um, but when you bring security teams in faster uh, along the process, it means that you get the product out faster and, and it's more baked into the, the system rather than a, you know, an initial roadblock at the end. Yeah, I think with that too, if you think of the dollars spent in privacy and response, you'll never regain the value of that. It doesn't add more privacy. It's fixing a hole. And the prevention part, if we could use that money more for prevention, we get a bigger bang for the buck, even more so than in cybersecurity because, uh, you know, we're talking about uh, employee awareness uh, capabilities or tools to help us find those pools of PII data and, and handle it in a secure way so we don't have that breach. And so to me, I think in the, to a greater degree that, that the investment in privacy and proactive measures will have a bigger bang for the buck than, uh, than even cybersecurity in a lot of cases. So going back to Agile a little bit, because I know you mentioned bringing the Agile framework to your office at VA. Um, how would you say it's been effective in how you approach uh, security at the VA? Well, I, I, first of all, I'd applaud the, the teams of developers that we have in uh, VA. Uh, they're coming to us early with the understanding that we need to be there. So this has this, it's a DevSecOps group. Um, it's going to be more of kind of meeting in the middle and, and less of us asking or them pulling. Uh, and that's really a, a great uh, momentous turning point for us. Um, but along that way, you know, for cybersecurity professionals to understand the the agile process and I, my experience with agile was a long time ago but it took me a long time to understand that i didn't need all the requirements first for the whole project i just needed to know the highest risk activity and what we're trying to solve and then what were the requirements to accomplish that and and you know we went from waterfall to agile that's that's really where you get the advantage having security there at the very beginning where we're not saying here's all the requirements, we're trying to bake it in in the first iteration, but we're actually looking at right-sizing it through the different iterations. So when it comes together, those pieces are already been pre-approved and socialized, 
And as we keep moving forward, we're adding additional capabilities based off the information that we're uh, protecting as well in the environment that they're operating in. And so in that way, we're making that agile adjustment. It's, it's the same iteration with a little more and with a little bit more with the intent that when we finish the whole project, both has all the capability that was the customer was asking for at the very beginning, and it has all the, the security requirements to support it all the way through authorization to uh, operate. So what would you say is the most important quality or skill to have working in federal IT? I know you've worked as uh, you know, both VA currently and then before that at uh, Department of Energy um, and then also with uh, DHS. Um, you know, in your experience, what is the most important quality for, for someone to have if they're looking to work in federal IT and uh you know, have you brought that into your agencies when it comes to hiring and retention? Well, I, I would say that you know, there needs to be a, a certain amount of empathy to the mission, right? It, you you want to come up and you, you want to go to work, uh, and you got to have a, a sense of service uh, to work in the federal government. Everybody knows that you know the pace cycle uh, is different. Uh, you can definitely make more on the outside. It's a different tempo. I've worked uh, commercial for uh, a, a bit before coming into federal space. And so the tempo is a little bit different. Uh, but that's a good tempo, too, because if you're committed and you and you enjoy the, the work and you find it rewarding, not only financially, but, you know, personally as, uh, you know, service to the federal government, it's a big world. I mean, we, we, I worked for Department of Energy and now I work for VA, but we're all federal, right? So all my leave... You know, all my history, you know, who I am, I'm a federal employee, right? So so I think that's a great opportunity because there's so many opportunities. Knowing that and understanding that is great. And then you also got to have a little bit of drive in there, too, because um, while we're doing uh, great work in categorizing cybersecurity codes for positions and we're now working on that, that workflow, so that way you can start as... Uh, you know, a novice or right off college with uh, or high school even with a certain base knowledge and we'll build it up and you can think of your career as kind of a journey. Uh, but we still need the individual to understand where they want to go, where their drive is, so we can get them into the right positions and the right organizations. And I'd encourage them to take risks, risks within standards, I would say. But if you have an idea, bring it because that's really the exciting part. There's a lot of room for um, growth. There's an environment uh, for new ideas coming in. And uh, the learning curve works both ways, right? So we want new people coming in with different experiences. I just heard uh, recently somebody say, um, you know, we need creativity. And creativity will really only stem from um, uh, inclusion of diversity. That's the diversity of experience and uh, diversity of uh, education and, and just who we are. And so it, it really does take the whole team to come in and we'll be a lot more successful with new ideas. So I'd, I'd encourage anybody new that's coming in and working uh, definitely inside OIS uh, to be, be willing to kind of share those ideas. And uh, when we're doing that strategy development, we want to hear those. And then kind of work together as a team to figure out where they best imply, and, and then as a team, we'll move out together. I think uh, I heard back in April from uh, was either Gary Stevens or Dom Cousat talking about sort of the, the career trajectory that you're focusing on at VA. So you know, if an employee knows where they want to be in five years, they can get a better sense of that and also the steps they'll need to take to get there, whether that's... You know, picking up new certifications or new skills, being able to see where their journey takes them. Certainly in cybersecurity and in privacy that you, you need to learn and you need to grow. If you're working on something and, and you're happy, we want you to be happy. And if you're happy where you're at and what you're doing, we got 
great opportunities for you there. I imagine getting a chance to move around more than OIS or even out to be a liaison with other team gives them a stronger sense of the mission too. Absolutely. We want uh, our teams to go out, especially if they're out visiting uh, for one topic or one convention, to stop and see a hospital, learn a little bit more about what's going on, take a tour. Uh, we can set that up uh, inside our teams. Uh, so that way they, they can see what the, the true value of the work that they're doing. Um, and hopefully that motivates them to do more as well, right, and grow. Do you think your time spent as a naval officer has informed how you approach the cybersecurity issues government faces today? Oh, I would say absolutely. Um, when I was in the Navy, I was uh, I first started out as a mechanic, and then I went uh, through a commissioning program and became a, a pilot, most of it as a helicopter pilot. Along the way, I was also a safety officer where I was uh, trained to be a mishap investigator um, and also do crew resource management and operational risk management. And so those principles, those risk principles about there's rules, there's guidelines, and there's uh, standard operating procedures. And, and for the most part, we, we worked to operate the mission, the mission successful by following those rules and guidelines. But there will come a time where there's a decision that has to be made, and you have to make a risk decision on what you're going to do. And you may have to deviate from that. You have to understand why those rules were put in place and why your deviation is, is for the mission and you're making a good sound decision. Um, so in doing so, if you, if you, and of course be accountable at the end, if there's, if you do deviate, you know, call, let, let you know, fess up that you, uh, like for instance, uh, there was a, a rule set that we couldn't fly from uh, one ship to another ship if it was greater than 150 miles away uh, with the understanding that if you don't find the ship, you can still make it back. Um, and we were 200 miles away, and we went ahead and did that because there was a medical emergency on it, um, and we needed to do that, and we wanted to do the uh, evolution uh, while it was still light, not in the middle of the night where it was going to be more complicated for uh, lifting uh, the individual off the uh, ship. Uh, and also we put in also compensating controls. We had another aircraft out there giving us radar vectors. We also uh, were in full communication, and we also looked at our fuel burn and watched uh, – on how we were uh, managing that. So it was tight, but it was a sound risk decision and it was a right risk decision at the time. And so if we just totally went by compliance, then then we would probably might, may not have the same success. And uh, and so, of course, as soon as we uh, had the chance, we went ahead and wrote up our report that we deviated from the standard and, and uh, why we did it. And they came and checked and there was no harm, no foul, and we moved on. So that's our mindset of looking at what are those rules? Why are they there? Understanding the real reason. And then coming up with a sound strategic uh, mission and organizational supportive approach is where we need to go. Well, I can definitely see how that would apply. Um, I'm, I'm lucky that uh, my, my graduate degree is in strategic studies, so military history, but also current warfare and, and how the Department of Defense and the various service branches operate. Um, I had a couple of close friends who were in the Navy and explained, you know, the, I think one of them was a fire control officer. It's you, know, you do drills on a ship every single day so that when something happens, if there's a fire that breaks out, you respond almost automatically. You know what the, the controls are, but also when you deviate from those. And most importantly, in times of emergency, you don't even think about it. It's almost second nature. Absolutely. And, and that's why those risk principles need to be in your part of your training program. And people understand need to understand where those risk tolerances are, why those risk tolerances are in place, and make sure the right risk owner is making the right risk decision. So uh, I think that's the big challenge part there. So uh, a few 
questions we ask everybody on, on uh, Cybercast, just get a sense of what government leaders in cybersecurity are thinking about right now. So the first one is, uh, in your time as a federal IT professional, what trends and evolving threats have you witnessed, uh, as well as the solutions to those threats, and do you think those trends are changing at all? Uh, I've seen the adversary um, change and uh, how they approach things. They're, they're definitely going off uh, the, the human element. They're looking a lot more at phishing or deceptive uh, capabilities to get you to a website where they can start uh, to get you away from the main security of the organization. Um, and they're also working on trying to uh, exploit the digital image of the person not only at work but at home. So. Uh, I see the adversary using more technology. You, know, you don't have to be as crafty of an adversary. If you have the will and you have the money, there's definitely tools that you can buy. And then, of course, they can use uh, large data analytics too, or you know, big data analytics too, to move you know, their strategy. So as we publish more and more about what we're doing, they're constantly retooling their approach because they want to be a very effective. I think that uh, what we're doing in the federal government's uh, been pretty wise. We've been looking at using same technology or, or using exploiting technology to protect us in a way, and more importantly, sharing information. Uh, by sharing information, it makes it more expensive for our adversary. Uh, so no longer do they come and exploit me, and when I discover them, they stop at that, and then they move on to their next target. If it's another federal organization or a private partner uh, through the ISACs, we're getting that information, those signatures out to them. So that makes it even harder for the adversary. So the adversary's got to be a lot more smarter than, than testing it on one and then trying it on another and then making the exploit on a third. Because uh, that discovery uh, before used to be very siloed, and now the information's being shared. If I can go back to the human element a little bit, and that's something I've heard a lot, especially in the past few weeks, really, about making sure that everyone in your organization is cyber literate. What would you say the VA is doing to promote cyber literacy, not just in its security teams, but also organization-wide to make sure that you don't have something that, that's centered around employee that, that causes a security risk? Uh, well, I think there's uh, several approaches on that, obviously. Uh, reoccurring reminders, uh, making sure that the employee knows, and this is just beyond you know, just the cybersecurity workforce, but the the actual employees uh, understand that they have a role in the cybersecurity play. Kind of, uh, when I was in the Navy and working safety, it was uh, all hands evolution. It it just wasn't one small group providing safety. It's just not one small group providing security. Everybody has a role, uh, and, and I think uh, the average user is getting uh, more um, aware of the risks, uh, both in their work and private life. So. Uh, you know, before uh, 10 years ago, we weren't really dealing much with uh, smartphones, but here we are. Uh, and how we how do we manage those? And people know how to use those, right? So they also know at work that they should be uh, thinking a little bit differently about uh, the information that they store, how they store it, how they send it. They're a little bit more conscious. But that just takes awareness. It takes leadership and a commitment from the leadership. And we have that at VA. It's a very high priority with the uh, secretary, deputy secretary, and certainly the CIO and myself. Um, and in that, we, hopefully that empowers them to start taking those habits and, and incorporating, as you talked about, training and just kind of you know what the right thing to do because you do it all the time by habit. Uh, that's... Um, that's where we're going to get the efficiencies. And then we have to go back to just the basic blocking and tackling, too. We need to know the, the critical roles that, that are in our organization that need that, that higher-level training. Certainly those that are working in the financial part, that's a big point where our adversaries are trying to exploit. And make sure that they're getting uh, additional um, 
uh, training and support, really the support that they need to make the informed decisions. What is a major initiative or challenge in cybersecurity that is not being talked about, in your opinion, or perhaps just not being talked about enough, if you can think of one? There's a couple things. I think, one, we're not really talking a lot about cybersecurity as a business value. Uh, we look at it kind of as an extension of IT in some regards, or maybe uh, as we look at um, uh, a building, you know, it's kind of cost of doing business. Uh, but I see cybersecurity as a, as a true business enabler. And in doing so, we got to start looking at if we had one more dollar to spend, where should we spend it? And is it in uh, the, the cybersecurity posture or is it inside the command culture um, to, to get the greatest bang for the buck? So, um, you know, with that in mind, you know, I look at trying to put things into kind of those basic business principles of um, every project, every, every program, every project, every activity. Uh, the big pieces, the big muscle movements, are we tying those back to the requirements? Do we know how that's affecting our mission and how it ties to our mission? And then are we putting the right cost scope and uh, um, schedule to make sure we get it done? And if you do that and kind of start bringing it into the business uh, perspective, we understand how it's supporting the mission. We know how cybersecurity can actually now help influence whether it's uh, brand reputation, financial reputation, mission reputation, uh, the other uh, values that, that the department or any organization has. So looking toward the future, what are you focusing on next for VA? Um, are there any challenges you're preparing for in advance or opportunities that you're keeping in mind? Well, I mean, we're very committed right now around the, uh, the electronic health care record. That, that's going to add so much value to, um, uh, to both active duty and, and the veteran. Um, when I was a vet, it it was difficult because uh, I'd have to make copies and I had to get over to VA and it had to be inputted. And there's a lot of human error, uh, potential for human error uh, for entering large stacks of old paper. Um, but now we can actually use the same record. And more importantly, we can give better quality service for our, uh, our veterans. You know, if they change locations and they're going to a different hospital, they, their, their whole medical record's there, right? It's, there's no loss. We understand exactly what, uh, what uh, type of treatment they had before and then also uh, you know, what treatment's working in the past. So uh, certainly uh, that goes with all the other benefits too. We know right where they're at. They don't have to fill out the uh, huge amount of forms, which then makes uh, you know, more uh, intelligent information that we have available for more data analytics. Another great opportunity and uh, yeah, I'm, as I mentioned, I was a veteran, and I belong to the Million Veteran Program for VA. That's where we've taken veterans' medical records, which have to be you know some of the best medical records, uh, pool of medical records in the world, and we're actually using uh, the high-speed computers out of uh, Oak Ridge National Laboratory to tie that to the DNA. And by doing so, now we can do deep-dive data analytics on DNA and how it relates to anything from you know, post-traumatic stress disorder, tinnitus, diabetes, cancer. And that's moving uh, not only greater work for the veterans, but really the, you know, the country as a whole and trying to get uh, more information on some of the bigger challenges we have in healthcare. Uh, I'm really working to move the teams to be more of a cybersecurity enabler and uh, be a broker uh, for cybersecurity instead of the traffic cop and saying, 
hey, cybersecurity says you can't do this, cybersecurity can't, says you can't do that. But I want you know to empower all my uh, cybersecurity professionals to be that broker. And when I talk about broker, I'm really kind of looking at it, if you kind of think of a financial broker, uh, they come in, they, they don't come up with just one set, would, you know, uh, one portfolio uh, works for all. They actually come up with a strategy, and it usually involves talking to the customer, understanding what their risk tolerances are, where their interests lie, and then they build a portfolio options, and then they bring those options to the to the decision maker on which one that they would like to take if they're going to take any. And that's that's where we need to be with cybersecurity. It's not necessarily saying thou shall not do that because NIST 53 says this, um, but to actually say this is this is what it says, and you know if you want to do this, these are the risks that you're taking, and here's some compensating controls or other strategies other people have used in the past to minimize that risk to an acceptable risk tolerance. And by doing so, again, it makes cybersecurity folks, they, they want them at the table because they're kind of the, the Sherpas that help the hiker get up the hill uh, because they know where all the landmines are. So I, I certainly don't expect every employee or every developer to be uh, well-depth knowledge in the different cybersecurity pubs of NIST. Actually, that's, that's really where OIS, our Office of Information Security, uh, lives. Um, our job is to tell them about it and to figure out ways to kind of make them successful uh, and still meet the requirement. Everything I have. Again, thank you for spending time with us, and it's great to hear about all the wonderful work that you're doing for VA. All right. Well, thank you for having us, and I uh, look forward to next time. Cybercast is a production of Government CIO Media and Research. It is hosted by James Mersall, produced by Amy Kluber. For more podcasts, head to governmentcio.com slash podcasts. If you're interested in sponsoring a podcast, contact us at sponsor at governmentcio.com.